Hi, I'm Sophia Leswing, coming to you from Berkeley, California, and this is People's Park Podcast, stories of homelessness, human resilience, and adaptation. Today's episode features the life story of Natalie Romero, a freshman at UC Berkeley. We will turn the pages of Natalie's childhood, glimpsing into a life that has faced the shock of deportation, the trauma of the American foster care system, and the chaos of relocating to another country, all before the age of 18. Speaking with Natalie, I found myself dumbstruck by a captivating air of humble self-confidence and maturity of a peer who I wouldn't have otherwise met if it weren't for an unrelenting grit that carried her to our shared university. When I was three years old, I remember it was late at night, or at least to me, it was late. My my dad was taking um, was going to give me a read a bedtime story to me, and there was like loud like noises outside the apartment like they were knocking like almost throwing out the door and I saw just two men and then um I remember my mom opened and then my dad said like oh I'll be right back just stay here as you as a little girl you obviously like okay you'll stay right and then I hear like my mom crying out loud like why are they like no no or fighting and I remember like getting up and like peeking out and Louise was taking my my father away so eventually like it's a horrifying moment to go into but like that was my first time experience it was not nice right they take away your father Mm -hmm. and I never I didn't get my bedtime story I was shocked by the suddenness and high emotional intensity of her father's deportation. Immigration and customs enforcement raids make undocumented immigrants constantly fearful of being deported. Natalie's father had built his family and life in America, but was now being forced to return to his so-called home country, a place he barely knew. And so after your father was deported, how did you react? How did your mother react? What happened? Well, I don't, I don't even remember, like, like after, like, my dad was taken away from the apartments, like, obviously he was in jail for several times, or in prison, and then they, like, took him. I, I didn't know, like, I, I don't remember, like, even go visiting him at the prison or anything. I just know that once he was reported, he passed away. A couple months after, like, my dad passed away. I was like found that I had like TB. And then my mom was a minor at the time. So they said, the government chose to say like, oh, she's a minor, you know, she won't be responsible for this young little girl who has to be into treatment stuff. So I remember this lady saying like, oh, it's okay. Like you kind of like go buy you some food or something. Like, they tricking me, you know, like, no, I don't want to be with strangers, but they, I was crying, and then I just remember, like, being in different homes. Daily, there are 428,000 children in the American foster care system who spend on average two years under state care and go through three different homes. 
I was curious about Natalie's individual experience in foster care. What I see is like the government comes and like, oh, we can help. We want to help. We want to have this help this child. So they take them into another foster family to see like, okay, with this family, they're going to be better. We're going to pay you to take care of this child. But many of them just sign up for the money. Um, a lot of people can be really happy and really humble and nice, but behind the scenes, they're monsters, you know? 5% of the total kids in foster care by the time they age out are left without permanent families. They are much more likely to face unemployment, incarceration, and homelessness as adults. I guess the most like memorable, horrifying foster home I experienced was with with the lady that drove me to this fast food restaurant and I was in the in the trunk because she said that I didn't deserve to have a seat. And it was because I, I had asked her for food. Like I remember asking her like I'm hungry. Sadly, Natalie's story isn't uncommon. Twenty-five to thirty percent of children in foster homes experience some form of abuse. A lack of stability and consistently harmful environments take deep tolls on the social-emotional development of young people. How long were you in the foster care system, and how many different homes did you go through? I would say like three and a half or four years in the foster care system, and throughout those four to five, six, I'm not sure. Well, Previously, before this happened with this, I had been in another foster home too where like, I would sleep outside because there is no room for me, quote unquote. Um, that's what the family said. And I remember there was other kids in there too. And I remember this one day, like it was really cold outside and because I didn't want to get up to like grab a glass of water and like they were laughing like that I was outside. like. I didn't, and so they like said, "Oh, go get this from outside." And I, I went, and I was knocking to go inside, and they didn't open the door, and I slept outside. And I remember like I was supposed to see my grandma because my social worker was like, "Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna see like every two weeks, I think, or every week I would visit them." And I remember like the the light in my foster room, my guardian. She was like, if you ever say something, like, it's going to go worse. Like, you have it, you're easy. I just have bad memories of being in foster homes. And I, as a little girl, you're not aware. You're not conscious of what's going around, you know. You're like, everything is new. You're just supposed to obey and stuff. Now I can be, I can consider that, yeah, they probably moved me around because, yeah, I probably had bruises. I probably had chapped lips, you know, like, because I was sleeping outside, I would get hit with the broom. So I believe, like, my social worker should have seen, or if not, my grandmother or my mother when I would have visits with them. So after you were released from the foster care system, where did you go? Uh, I remember moving back in with, or moving in with my grandmother, and I lived there until she passed away and then moved with my mom. After like a couple years of being with her, like we moved to Mexico. Reuniting with her mom brought Natalie little comfort due to their long estrangement. Several months later, Natalie's stepfather was deported to Mexico 
a painful reminder of the suddenness and life-changing deportation of her biological father just four years earlier. Natalie's mother decided to uproot the family to Mexico to spare her children the pain of growing up without a father. I asked Natalie to elaborate on this difficult transition. How was my transition with them? Well, again, I, it was kind of strange at the beginning because I didn't have, I guess I never told them I felt this way, but it's like, it's like if um, you're going to live with a stranger, you know, you've, like, you know they're your family. Like, it's just, you've been told they're your family. That mother, mother-daughter relationship, I don't have, you know, that unique, you can trust your mom with this, or mommy, I, like, if I fell, or if I like a guy, or I didn't have that, I can go tell her, like, oh, I like this boy, or I need help with this, you know, um, that's something I didn't have, um, there is literally no day that I wouldn't go without getting beat up by my mom, like, my mom was a really strict person, you know, like, if I didn't wash the dishes, I would get in trouble. Like, I would get beat up. If I said I'm tired, I would get beat up. If if I just said I, <laughs> like, if she, like, said, like, give me an example, like, I don't get up and go wash the dishes. But, uh, and you get slapped <laughs> because you're not supposed to respond back, right? Mm -hmm. 4% of the child population in the U.S. have experienced neglect or abuse and live with the conflicting emotions of fearing their parents, yet also wanting their love. I asked Natalie to further expand on her relationship with her mother. I guess I was afraid of her at, at some point because all my mother figure I had was my grandmother. And that's who I knew for mom, you know, who I would call mom. How would you define what it means to be a parental figure. Yeah, I feel like the purpose of a parent is to be in their, like to nurture um, to nourish their children. However, I, I don't regret again because of her. I am who I am now. I would say with my mom was the one I grew up from or transitioned from a child to an adult. Again, like, living in Mexico is not the same thing as living here. There's a lot more corruption that goes on over there. Um, a lot more violence, and, I don't know, we fell into poverty, you know? When, before we left to Mexico, like, we had a stable, like, home for a while, you know? Like, we had food, we have clothing and stuff. But once we moved to Mexico, that all goes away. Uh, we didn't have no luxuries. We we would there was days that we would starve, or there was days that we didn't have shoes to like walk with or clothing to dress up with. In Mexico, I had to work, be a student, take responsibilities of like raising my siblings and. basically play a lot of roles, you know, that at the age of nine, all the way to 15, there's no time for you to experience childhood or adolescence. It's more of like so many roles that you have to play and take, like step it up, you know, like 
learn fast and move on not really enjoy and like that's the reason why I say like I had to grow up because I learned how to pay bills I learned how to take care of children I learned how to cook I learned how to look after people you know um and moreover look after myself you know and be responsible for my own education because I knew that education was the only way of getting out Natalie demonstrated an immense maturity and humility as she reflected on her experience of being forced into extreme economic responsibility at a young age. If I wouldn't have gone to Mexico, I wouldn't have learned how to pay bills. If I, if I haven't had gone to Mexico, I wouldn't know what the value of education is, you know? Um, there's many things I can be grateful for. And how did you maintain that drive to keep studying, to keep working hard, in order to return to America. Um, singing the song. That reminds me of my younger siblings. <laughs> that gives me strength. It's kind of funny. Thank you for a corazón Que a veces se rompió Se apagó Pero nunca se rindió Entre estrellas de cartón Perdí la ilusión de que llegara un ángel me levante y que me pida que lo ame. Y de pronto un día de suerte se me hizo conocerte y te cruzaste en mi camino. Ahora creo en el destino tenerte. Por siempre conmigo, pero más suerte es quererte tanto y que tú sientas lo mismo. I have a, I have a sad, like a sad heart, and that was once broken, but I never lost faith, and that, like. Like, like it never like gave up in a way. Like even though it was broken, even though it was like hurt, like it never gave up, and still like had faith that like one day I don't in the middle of nowhere like an angel would come down and like you know you got love or like like tell you that they love you too, and like the other person comes obviously and you know like gives you hope and stuff so. Wow, that's, so sorry. that's beautiful. <laughs> what does, what does education mean to you? What does education mean to me? Uh, education means a lot. Not only it means the path that you can take to educate yourself, first of all, like make yourself more presentable uh, and professional, but moreover, like it gives you, it leads you to the path of success and I guess there's many ways of success I can't even say that because there's many ways of success but it puts me to the top of where like okay I won't have to fear not having what to eat do you know what I mean that that's all I wanted like that's all I want like being able to give well now it's more about like I want to be able to give back you know not only that I have enough to eat and I I, I have clothing and that I have shoes because my siblings are in Mexico you know, and now you need to help them. So I guess seeing them every day and seeing that I need to look out for them and seeing that I am an example for them um, 
that was my drive, you know. If I felt like I didn't have a model, you know, like who to look up to. And I didn't have like someone who I can look up to that that would drive me, like that I can see their drive, you know. I kind of had to like build that for myself and like say, okay, this is what I want to do. This is... um this is something that I want to share, you know, I want to pass down, like, to my siblings, like, I want them to see, like, that I wanted them to have a motive. I guess having in the back of your mind your roots and wanting to give back to them, that's what kept me moving, moving forward. In this daily struggle for survival, Natalie realized that education was her way out of poverty, out of the little hell she considered her life in Mexico. Working odd hours and saving up money in a secret bank account as her mom often took away her paychecks, Natalie finally earned enough money to purchase a one-way ticket from Tijuana to Fresno, where she could attend a high school that would challenge her and entertain her prospects of higher education. Currently, Natalie is a freshman at UC Berkeley, where she participates in the Reserve Officers Training Corps and hopes to major in psychology. Her ultimate goal, to give back to those experiencing the poverty, abuse, and homelessness that are all too familiar to her. This week is Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week, sponsored by the Basic Needs Security Coalition of UC Berkeley. They are working to alleviate student hunger, homelessness, and malnourishment. Help them reach their fundraising goal of $2 million by donating at basicneeds.berkeley.edu.